Hello and welcome to Clean Beauty Asia's podcast. I'm your host, Ali Rook. This interview series is a collection of conversations with people who operate, support, and facilitate beauty brands doing business in Asia. My aim is to provide valuable insights and information to make your beauty brand's transition into Asia as smooth and successful as possible. This first series is dedicated to cross-border e-commerce in China, and I really hope you find it valuable. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my interview series. Today, we have a guest that we've had before, Mark Shub from Kingwood and Mallisons. I wanted to have Mark back on because we've had these changes with the announcement of uh, big changes to animal testing requirements for China. And Mark obviously has watched this space very closely. So thank you so much for coming back, Mark. Thanks, Ali. So today, let's dive right in. Can you give us a bit of an overview of the key changes for that will affect independent beauty brands or any beauty brands coming into China that are cruelty-free? Yeah, so like you said, I mean, people have been waiting for a long time. I think the first article I wrote about, you know, the end of animal testing getting nearer was, I think, 12 years ago. So it's been a long time coming. And I guess it's not a surprise that it's not really a... Uh, a hard end, it's more uh, exemptions are opening up. So I think, you know, the best way to encapsulate it is, uh, you know, back in 2014, there was the exemption for some types of domestic products. If it was domestically manufactured, if you got an exemption, you didn't have to do animal testing. That's now been extended to imported products for the first time, Uh, but it does require you to have a QMS, which is like a GMP type certification from your country of origin. And you also need to do a safety assessment, which is acceptable to the NMPA. So, you know, I think this is the start of a pathway. Uh, but, you know, the I guess the major hurdles is that for the QMS, uh, there's nothing really in place yet. It will be bilateral. I think the French government has said that they've already got something in place. But as far as we can tell, the Chinese haven't recognised it. And we're not fully sure what the safety assessment is. But I guess we can look at what was happening in the domestic uh, arena and probably that will give us a bit of guidance. Okay, yes. And this the thing with the um, GMP or the QMS is the fact that the, from what I understand, the NMPA have said that it needs to be certified by the government of the, of the authority of the government of the market in which you manufacture. So if you have, yeah. if you manufacture in multiple markets, then you need, we think, as far as I understand, we need several different well, I think it's only the one. So let's say if you're a, a beauty brand and you manufacture in Mexico, Australia and uh, France, uh, then if you're going to supply the, the Chinese market from Mexico and France, those two manufacturers would have to be certified. Okay. So Because I think you know, one of the issues will be probably because of the geopolitical situation at the moment, probably Australia will not be first cab off the rank when it comes to these kind of things. Yes, exactly. So, yes, the fact that it's all government, uh, it needs to be authorised by the government of the, of the country you're manufacturing in. There's a lot of scope and the Chinese have to accept that process. So, as you mentioned, the French have obviously, they've announced that they have that process. I, from what I've seen as well, there hasn't, I don't think the Chinese have fully um, rubber stamped it yet. I think the British are also in the process of 
and negotiations, but again, that hasn't been um, completely rubber stamped yet. So it's all supposed to come into play from the 1st of May is what I understand. Yeah, 1st of May, it's possible to do it. I mean, I don't think there'll be, I think, you know, somebody asked me, I, I think, um, well, how will we find out which countries are able to do it? I said, I'm sure if you just read the news, you'll find out because there'll be a lot of announcements. Yeah. Uh, so I think the yeah. ones, the front runners seem to be the French and uh, perhaps the Koreans and the Japanese. Uh, I think the other problem will be for people that are a good brand in a you know country where it's not a major type of industry, they might take longer. So you know, if you're a Finnish beauty brand, yeah. maybe it's not the top um, you know priority for the Finnish government. Uh, so you know, so it's going to be a lot of teething issues. It's going to take a lot of time until it gets resolved. Absolutely, absolutely, and. Yeah. and from what I've heard as well for the US, of course, things like that are done on a, on a, not necessarily on a federal level. So you've got that extra complexity between the states and a federal level. So yes, I think, as you said, we need to wait and see. But in terms of um, cruelty-free, so something that I know you've worked on in the past is the pilot project where brands can come in, uh, they can manufacture locally through, through a specific project with um, Cruelty-Free International. And that exempts them from any possibility of post-market animal testing. So with this new regulation, what do you think will happen with post-market animal testing, if anything? See, I'm not really sure if that's true, the post-market animal testing. I think post-market animal testing, uh, my understanding, it's, it's various different authorities can do it. And as far as I know, it hasn't happened for a long time. Yeah. But you know, it's yeah. not banned. And so... I think, you know, there are uh, beauty bloggers and cruelty-free organizations that take a very hard stance on uh, post-market. But as far as I know, I think the U.S. also still has those kind of regulations in place for uh, human health and safety. I mean, obviously, there's no need to do it, but it's still mm. on the book. So I don't think this addresses that. I think, you know, yeah, we have to also realize it, you know, still allows, um, you know, you can't use this if you've got a special use cosmetic, you know, yeah. so something with yeah. skin whitening or bleach or something like that. Uh, and also if it's targeted at children or infants. So, yeah, it's not an explicit ban uh, on animal testing. It's more certain categories can get an exemption. So I, I think we shouldn't, you know, overmarket it. Uh, it's the right direction, but it's not, you know, the, the end position, I think. Absolutely, it's not complete. There are there are quite a few exemptions, as you said. Yes, the 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 baby and anything to do with children and infants is quite a big exemption. So is SPF, for example. Um, yeah. Yes, anti acne. There's there's a lot of there are a lot of exemptions, but it is a it is a good step in in the right direction. So in terms of brands preparing for this now, like if anyone's wanting to start the preparation, what would you advise as the next step? Just wait or is there or is there something that they can do now? Well, look, you know, like I said, I think the first article I wrote was 14 years ago or 12 years ago. And, you know, that's a long time to wait. It's a bit like, <laughs> you know, real estate in Shanghai. If you wait, you might be waiting a long time. <laughs> I think that, I think what will happen is, um, you know, you, you mentioned like the Leaping Bunny or those pilot projects or other ones. Uh, you know, there's no magic to it. It's nice, you know, the Leaping Bunny ones, there's some oversight and people are checking things, you know, perhaps more carefully. Um, I would think what we will see is actually uh, there'll be a bit of a media uh, or an awareness that China's changing. And counterintuitively, I think more of those smaller brands will be willing 
to go and do the domestic production because, it, yeah, to tell you the truth, the other thing I think is probably at some stage it'll be a bit like um, the abattoirs or uh, some things like honey and also, of course, infant formula is probably the most similar where the Chinese did open up to having certain factories overseas certified. So they actually did the inspections here. It yeah. seems a bit yeah. softer. Uh, but what happened in the end of that infant formula? Sure, they made it easier to import you know, on paper. But in the end, you know, all those big infant formula companies ended up doing local production here mm. in China. Yeah. I think, you know, so I think the thing is the trend is okay. It will really depend on, you know, the beauty organizations and, you know, beauty bloggers like yourself, whether you feel now, you know, is it enough? Uh, the post-market thing I think is an issue. I personally don't think it's really an issue because, you know, as far as I know, they haven't done it for a long time. Uh, and whether people have confidence to, you know, do it and that the perception is that it's still cruelty-free. Because, you know, for a lot of, um, you know, perhaps beauty bloggers in particular, uh, selling in China, except through cross-border e-commerce, it's shorthand for animal testing. Yeah. And so I guess yeah. now it's um, that's become a little bit grayer and, uh, you know, it's a little bit more complicated. Yes, I think that's something that brands brands struggle with, especially brands that have a, a really strong stance and that's part of their brand DNA because, as you said, people that are not very informed about the China market, they think that if you're selling in China at all, then then you are effectively um, testing on animals. So this gives a gives another route. It gives us another way for brands to explain, but at the same time, it's still explaining, right? We're not, the, the press isn't that, China has banned animal testing. It's still more nuanced than that. So I think that's a that's a tricky piece. I agree about the um, the manufacturing in China. I think brands that have that sort of size, medium sized brands that can do that, we will see more brands more brands doing that from for many reasons as well as the as well as the animal testing aspect. So mm. yeah. Um, yeah. So I think those medium brands too. What they'll probably do is I think you know part of the whole thing is. You know, uh, that new law which came into effect, uh, you know, uh, last year, um, well, sorry, 1st of January this year, that law overhauled something which was, you know, back from the Berlin Wall was still there. It was back from 89 or something. You know? So, yeah, you know, there's been a big change. And I think part of it is uh, it's a more sophisticated uh, liability chain. And so, you know, you'll see that one of the other exceptions is the responsible agent, the manufacturer or the brand can't be on a watch list. And I think that's one thing which a lot of companies perhaps haven't really fully realized mm. is you'll have more market access, but you're going to be potentially much more likely to be on the hook for liability. And I think responsible agents in the past were just always an afterthought. And now I think anybody who's really responsible would not want to be a responsible agent because you really do inherit a lot of liability. I think for a lot of those medium brands that you say will perhaps venture and have a uh, you know, outsourcing the manufacturing, they'll probably have to set up something in China in order to act as responsible and take some responsibility for the production and you know keep an eye on things as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think when you're choosing a distributor in China, it's tricky enough as it is anyway to find to find someone that you can trust, that you can feel you can look after your brand. But now with this added sort of responsibility of the, the responsible agent, the 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 watch list, there's a whole load more things that brands need to need to consider um, with, with the their partners that they choose. So I think that's another thing. 
Yeah. I mean, I would never, I mean, that would be just some advice on that, just you know, as a side. I would never really recommend that your distributor is your responsible agent because, you know, when that beautiful relationship ends, mm -hmm. this gives a lot of leverage and a lot of complexity. And especially now that these, you know, uh, um, you know, registrations will be for many, many more companies, you really would want to have your own team or somebody neutral. So, but the problem is, I think, you know, a few years ago, you would find neutral parties or consultants who would do it. But I think they're not going to really like doing it because it puts them in a very high risk position. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. Very, very tricky. Very tricky. Um, and, and no one knows sort of how the government's going to regulate that. Right. It's, it's a big unknown. Um, mm. in terms of how strict they're going to be and things. Yeah. Well, I and think... We have to also say, look, a lot of the... Oh, sorry, just on that, also, because mm. sometimes we'll talk about the Chinese government being very strict. Yeah, one of the reasons why they're strict, it might be that it's a bit of a, a trade barrier, but to be fair, a lot of cosmetic companies have also been tricky and naughty. And, mm. you know, especially because new ingredients is one of the things which is a carve-out. So if you've got a new ingredient in... You know, it's not unheard of that, you know, cosmetic companies, supplement companies, you know, they kind of didn't tell the truth about what was in their product in order to align with Chinese requirements. Yeah. So I think, you know, even if I was a consultant, I'm not really sure if I can trust everybody who tells me yeah. what's in the product. So that's why yeah. it's a bit, uh, there's also oversight. It's not just for no reason. I think yeah, there's legitimate reasons to keep an eye on. Sure, of course, of course. And actually, there's one other thing um, about this new regulation that some that, you know, I've had brought up to me about the amount of information that the brands are going to have to give over to the to the authorities in terms of formulation, in terms of also including um, the, the suppliers of their ingredients. I don't know whether that's something that you've seen in, in the legislation or that's more I of a... <laughs> I think the formulations, that kind of information was always required whenever you're doing it. And probably before most cosmetic brands that you're dealing with didn't do it because yeah. they couldn't do a registration yeah. because that would involve yeah. animal testing. Mm. So, I mean, that really is shorthand for animal testing is if you had a NMPA registration, yeah, you, you had animal testing yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I guess that's the first thing. People aren't used to it because they didn't do it in the past. I think with the suppliers, that's going to be something now complicated uh, it seems that China's not just looking at that first level, they're lo looking at the underlying safety of the ingredients. And, you know, I haven't worked it out all myself in my head, but there'll be a lot of IP issues about the formulations of these yeah. new products. So you have some time where you will be kind of like the monopoly, like a kind of a mini patent. But these will be complicated issues because whoever first applies for the new ingredient, they'll effectively get a monopoly for China on that kind of agreement. So that's a complicated issue that hasn't been fully resolved yet. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's an issue for the new ingredients because obviously they want to know, but also for, for existing, for, for the existing legislation, or is it only on the new ingredients that they're going to be, I have think to give that level of it, detail? Yeah. I think it's only going to be on the new ingredients because the you know, old ingredients are already tried and tested. And Makes so, sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's another thing for brands to think about. IP is always, as we talked about last time, IP is always an issue that um, people associate with China, and um, you know, obviously trademarks is a big one. But this is this is an extension of of keeping looking after your IP. So uh, yeah. So I mean, that's something which I want to look at when I've got some time. I'm going to talk to our patent guys because it's not really a patent. 
it's really more that you've given this confidential information to the NMPA and they give you some kind of right of exclusivity for a period of time. I don't even know how those things coincide. So, you know, it's a, it's a complex issue. Uh, yeah. Probably not for the, uh, for the beauty brands as much as the suppliers. So probably the big chemical companies, this will be an issue for them. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, it's all going to be a bit of trial and error from the first of May as brands start to start to go down this process. And so we'll, I'm sure we'll have more opportunities for updates as as it happens. But that, I think that was great for to just today to get a bit of a bit of a, an update and your point of view on that. So thank you so much, Mark. Thanks a lot, Ali. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Clean Beauty Asia, the podcast with me, Ali Rook. I hope you found the content useful with tips and tricks and takeaways that can really help you move your China journey forward. I always like to hear from my listeners, so please join me on LinkedIn, Ali Rook, or Instagram, Clean Beauty Asia, and I'll be very happy to talk to you more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.